Welcome to this archived LDN Research Trust conference presentation. We hope you enjoy it. Dr. Shukman uh, is a psychiatrist in private practice in the suburbs of Chicago. Prior to becoming an MD, his interests included alternative medicine and mathematics. Dr. Shukman's practice is focused on such problems as mood, anxiety, sleep, sex, oh, appetite control, memory problems, that's my problem too, chronic pain, and addiction to opioids and alcohol. Dr. Shukman is frequently consulted on psychosomatic problems and psychiatric symptoms, accompanying general medicine conditions. Treatment approach is based on a neuropsychiatric interpretation of symptomatology and usually consists of combination of medications with vitamins, supplements, and reflexotherapy. LDN is a part of psychopharmacological armamentarium. You had to throw big words in there for me for treatment of mood disorders, eating disorders, and addictions. Now, finally, Dr. Shukman is a teacher, above all, including doctor teaching other doctors. He was on the faculty of a board preparation course, advisory panels, multiple grand rounds, etc. He served as a primary investigator for a, several pharmaceutical research studies, and I'm very proud to call and honored to call him my friend. Mark, do a good job right here into the mic. Thank you. And after all this, I will be talking about sex. Yeah, okay. So sex is not the biggest part of my practice, but it is, it is a part of my practice. I'm a psychiatrist, and I do talk about sex. Uh, so I, I wish I also presented the data, hard data, with graphs, with statistics, but there is no big statistics. There is no big data. I mean, there are a lot of studies, and you will see studies about sex and uh, naltrexin, but uh, at the end of this talk, I will invite you to uh, participate in study. I will not start asking you personal experience here in the room, but uh, I will uh, invite you to write me an email and participate in st study. We need to collect more data. We need to collect more uh, experiences of people. So uh, no pictures in this presentation. I tried to avoid it. Uh, I, um, when I started collecting these uh, slides together, I thought, uh, it will be about one uh, topic, then topic changed, then it changed again. So my goal will be today just to have a big overview and present a couple of ideas. And if I skip through the slides, you can get them, uh, or if you email me, I can send you slides. And there was a bigger presentation for this. Uh, each line that is here, there is, a, uh, there is a study, there is a document, there is something behind the, the line. So if anybody is interested, how did I get this data, ask me, I'll, I'll give you the information. Um, yeah, and I said that this is the first, uh, as far as I know, I'm the first one who is doing it in LD in, in sex. Uh, so if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I will, ne next time I'll be more. <laughs> So sexual uh, problems are not uncommon, are very uh, frequent, and uh, interestingly that uh, ejaculation too rapidly is a big problem for men. Well, uh, as a psychiatrist, I know how, deal, how to deal with it. It's pretty easy. Uh, and I always wonder, is it real number or not? Because uh, very frequently uh, young guys come to me and say, I'm doing it too rapidly, and when I ask more, well, it's not as long as in the movie. So people have some ideas. So for women, it's uh, about equal amount of orgasm, uh, desire, and arousal. Uh, so in sexual dysfunctions are even more common in people with chronic illnesses. 
In the beginning, I thought this talk will be for people with autoimmune conditions who have sexual dysfunctions. And then I realized it's for healthy people too, but it's a part of presentation will be on uh, people with uh, chronic illnesses. So you see uh, almost three quarters of people uh, report some of the sexual dysfunctions. Uh, ejaculating too early doesn't become too, uh, too big of a concern in people with chronic illness, chronic autoimmune condition. So when we think about how, how this works, uh, the, first, uh, the first thinking is, okay, somebody has an autoimmune condition. Of course, hormonal disturbances will accompany an autoimmune condition. And yeah, if you have hormonal, uh, hormonal dysfunction, you'll have some sexual dysfunction. And this is kind of common thinking. Of course, what do you, you have a chronic condition and you want to have sex? No, you'll not have sex because you have this hormonal dysfunction. However, there is another way to look at the problem. It's very possible that hormonal dysfunction is in the very beginning of these problems, and it's hormonal dysfunctions that are causing autoimmune disorders. And sexual dysfunction is just another branch in the same tree. So can we look at the problem differently? Can we say that uh, really it's hormonal dysfunction that started autoimmune process? I, I don't know if this is uh, true or not, but a lot of things are uh, coincided. So uh, people with, uh, so men and women have different frequency of autoimmune condi condition, different, um, uh, different problems. And uh, in females, autoimmune conditions are more frequent. Uh, we know that pregnancy has a lot of uh, modifying factors. So some women during pregnancy feel better. We know that it fluctuates with uh, the cycle. We know that men with autoimmune conditions have anti, sperm antibody. These two uh, lines, uh, two last lines about prolactin and oxytocin, let's leave it for the uh, second part of the presentation, but uh, oxytocin is anti-inflammatory. Anti you know how to increase oxytocin when you kiss a woman well, in sensitive areas, oxytocin goes up. So maybe this is one of the treatments for autoimmune condition. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so this is an example of role of hormones in uh, multiple scler sclerosis. Uh, so again, it's more prevalent in women. Uh, women with low testosterone have more brain lesions on MRI. Um, and what we don't think often is that sex steroids have survival-promoting role. Progesterone. So progesterone seems to be protective. Uh, when people are, uh, well, when, when women are pregnant, a lot of progesterone, uh, autoimmune condi conditions can, can actually subside a little bit. It does fluctuate with the cycle. And again, when progesterone is up, autoimmune condition can be better. So, Another question that I'm trying to raise, should we, use, should we offer hormone replacement therapy for women with autoimmune conditions? And I know there is a lot of controversy about uh, hormone replacement therapy, but in my view, the study in 2002 that showed that 
women shouldn't stay on, on hormones. It was a very poor done study. Hormones were birth control pills that you need to take orally, and estrogen shouldn't be taken orally. It's only in the form of the cream. Uh, women were from 40 to 63 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Some of them were, didn't have periods for 15 years, and everybody was getting the same amount of medication. And the study has to study something. They studied, uh, they studied benefits in cardiovascular problems. Yes, for cardiovascular problems, it didn't show any benefits. Yes, it did show some increase, not a big increase in cancers, but they didn't say that some of the cancers decreased. So uh, this, uh, this is a big question. Should be hormone replacement ter therapy a big part of uh, overall treatment for autoimmune conditions? So why don't we know about it? Because doctors don't ask and patients don't tell. It's a nightmare for the doctor, not, not for a psychiatrist. a nightmare to start talking about it because you don't know what to do next. You're not trained. You don't have time. It's not what you want to do. And the patient don't know, do I have a sexual dysfunction or is it something that is expected? Is it normal? So I uh, decided to put a definition there. So like in all problems in psychiatry, what is dysfunction? Dysfunction is when the problem bothers you or bothers, bothers uh, people around you. So if you have a dysfunction and it doesn't bother you, don't treat it. If you have a dysfunction and it reflects on other people or on you, yeah, you probably should do something about it. But internet is talking. If you go on internet and if you uh, Google a certain words, you, you'll de definitely find people talking about it and people tell, well, this is an example somebody said, I uh, use uh, uh, LDN for my thyroid problem and suddenly I realize that my sex drive is up and they use words. Well, okay, I don't have my glasses, but it's a pretty good word. It's like, I'm wow, I'm oh. So why do we expect LDN to work for sex? Well, it's an opioid blocker. Uh, I'll show you a lot of studies when uh, they use high doses of naltrexone as an opioid blocker for, for sexual benefits. LDN can uh, increase endorphins. Yeah, and when I'm saying sometimes I say it's blockers, sometimes I'm, sa I'm saying it increases endorphins, well, it depends on when you measure. So probably after you take low-dose naltrexone, it's still a blocker. Later on, it becomes enhancer of endorphins. And also, it uh, has great, uh, big role in the infl inflammation. So what animal studies are sa saying? Each line in this slide has a study showed induction and copulatory behaviors, libido is enhanced, facilitation of sexual performance. Well, this red actually, it's, a, it's called lordosis. When the red is available, this is how she shows that she is available. Uh, I removed the picture here with a girl doing the same, but no. uh, interestingly, uh, Treating reds with uh, naltrexone had long-term effects. These reds uh, mature more rapidly and have actually better interest in sex later on in life. So yesterday there was a question, what's happening from uh, taking uh, low-dose naltrexone for a long time? We don't know. Maybe this is one of the things that will happen. 
or if you start treating early with low-dose naltrexone. Human studies, again, each line has a study, each word has a study here. So and you can have the whole, the whole spectrum from, from arousal, for, from desire to performance. And uh, these uh, spontaneous erections come again, again, and again, especially morning spontaneous erection. It's probably one of the things that is, imp is increasing with uh, low-dose naltrexone. Yes, some studies are negative, and I'll talk in a moment why uh, there is a big discrepancy with the studies. So uh, this is one of the studies that shows that uh, endorphins play a role in human uh, impotence, and uh, you you read the details. Bottom line, it looks like um, ten out of fifteen. And these are the people who didn't have uh, erection for what two years, and there is no uh, physiological explanation for that. And what five out of 15 patients recovered completely, and 10 out of 15 went to, back, uh, to baseline. So, these studies were done mostly on naltrexone, with doses from 25, 12.5 to 100 milligrams. And the question is, will LDN be more uh, suitable for these uh, effects? And I think yes, because uh, when they reviewed these studies, it seems like the lower dose they used, the better results they got. Or they, they maybe were using not very low dose, but they, but they checked the result 12 hours, hours later, 24 hours later. So the, the more it resembles LDN, the better result. And this is one of the studies that shows they used 25 milligrams and they checked the result uh, 24, 18 to 24 hours later. So in this case, masturbation was increased and uh, uh, in enjoyment from the first uh, intercourse was increased. So uh, LDN is anti-inflammatory. It's not a secret, everybody knows it, and I just wanted to point out that the same factors that uh, cause uh, sexual dysfunction can actually, well, the same factors that cause inflammation can cause sexual dysfunction. Endorphins. Well, what to do with endorphins in sex? Well, uh, in 1914 there was so-called uh, Harrison Narcotic Act, which essentially said that a doctor shouldn't give a narcotic to somebody who is going into withdrawal, not to perpetuate the withdrawal. It's an awful thing today, but it's still in effect. But interestingly, before this act, when heroin was available, and available was prescribed for female troubles, so twice as many women were on heroin than men, <laughs> if you can imagine, because this is how many women complain on female troubles. Uh, yes, uh, endorphins can help sex, but mostly helping sex by uh, decreasing tension, avoiding some problems, relaxing, pretty much like small doses of alcohol. Small doses of alcohol. But a lot of patients with autoimmune conditions are on long-term uh, opioid treatment. 
And long-term opioid treatment, all these fibromyalgias that come to me and Vicodin and stuff, it's awful. They don't, they don't have any sex drive. So in the beginning, young men uh, use heroin to impress, and then at the end, they don't have any interest in sex. <coughs> so, uh, endorphins are mostly to end the act of sex. It's not to have sex. It's not a goal of uh, sex to have good endorphins. So endorphins is something to feel good after sex, to be satisfied with the sex. I have to point out another interesting thing. Endorphins decrease oxytocin, increase prolactin, and decrease sensitivity to uh, testosterone. And all these factors are pro-inflammatory. So are, are we creating more infl inflammation with sex, with endorphins? I don't know. Maybe in the, be the beginning is a modulation, but it's very po possible that we're creating more inflammation. Now, interestingly, the same factors, decreased oxytocin, increased prolactin, cause this wave of sadness and despair, uh, decreased desire of sex. Well, biologically, biologically it's understood. You know, after copulation, species has to end this process somehow. There should be somehow an end. So apparently, uh, this is a way of the mother nature to stop the process and to make person or species feel satisfied. But this uh, wave of sadness and despair that comes with increased prolactin and decreased oxytocin, I never thought it's a problem. <laughs> I never thought it can, it, it's a common problem. Um, uh, internet is great. I found this something called postcoital dysphoria. And yes, I started talking to people. And apparently a lot of people really have this postcoital dysphoria. So postcoital dysphoria essentially means that after sex, uh, people feel bad. At least some people feel bad. Feel bad, women say, well, I felt violated. Men can say, I feel guilty. Then you suddenly open your eyes and you see who you had sex with. It kind of comes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know how politically correct to put this uh, citation, but the, the people who lived long time ago, Galen said something about it, Spinoza mentioned that people have back. So, so, so this is not something new, this didn't come in 21st, 21st century. So what do you do with it? How much time do I have to tell you what to do with it? No. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Right, did you want to get off stage? <laughs> um, so, um, what, what can you do to avoid it? So, uh, not to have sex. Well, I don't know. Maybe for some people it's an answer. For some people it's probably not an answer. Tantra. All these, uh, all these uh, practices when you have, uh, when you hug for a long time, when you think about it, when you imagine, but you don't have sex or have very interesting way of having sex, yeah, probably it's another thing to do. Karitsa, it's an old thing. 
people don't know about it. It's a, it's a, the whole teaching how to uh, how to hug, how to hug, how to have almost have sex and not having sex. And there is a great website I found, uh, reuniting.org, that have a lot of information about it. They really teach people how to do it. Use this. Oh yeah, use this. Okay. You see, I'm not talking about this topic too often. I'll, I'll start. I'll start developing my. <laughs> Uh, so uh, go to this website. It's a very interesting website. So so you can uh, you can avoid avoid orgasm to avoid feeling bad after sex. And this and this side they said uh, actually even without orgasm you can have this sadness and despair and uh, and problem. Um, apparently there is a syndrome. Where some women feel very bad. Very very. Uh, depressed when they breast milk, breastfeed because of oxytocin, because of prolactin. So prolactin doesn't make you feel good. For people who don't involved in these uh, neurotransmitters, uh, when dopamine goes down, prolactin goes up. So what essentially is happening during orgasm, dopamine goes up, but then it drops down. And this is true not only for sex, not only for orgasm, it, it, it's true for uh, any addiction, actually, including not only sex addiction, any, any addiction. Uh, dopamine goes up, then dopamine drops, and this is when kids who watch, uh, who play video games, they got irritable, they got cranky, and adults feel guilty, sad, whatever. So dopamine goes down, and it leads to increase of prolactin which is exactly the reason why don't touch me, don't, uh, don't, 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 don't bother me. And again, it, this is not something new. I remember a joke, it's an old joke. What a woman doing in bed after sex? Do you know what a woman is doing in bed? She bothers me. So it's probably because prolactin goes up, oxytocin goes down. Endorphins facilitate this process. So I think, and this is my idea, and this is, I think, what's going on. If you give low dose naltrexone here around sex, it will block this process. So first of all, for, for people with autoimmune condition, is a way to have orgasm and not to have a flare of an autoimmune condition. Just take naltrexone, uh, take low dose naltrexone, specifically here, specifically around sex, Yesterday we were talking with pharmacists about, oh, there was a question yesterday, can LDN be used rectally? I don't know about rectally, but it can be a part of this scream cream, which is a cream <laughs> that helps women feel better. It could be a part of the scream cream, which can block all these unwanted things. So I... Uh, I have to tell you, uh, people do ask me how to treat sexual dysfunctions with low-dose naltrexone, and I start with saying, first of all, uh, sexual dysfunction is not only a problem of your hormones, it's not only a problem of your neurotransmitters, it's a problem of your life, your relationship, psychology, and so on. Second thing that I'm trying to find out, what is sexual dysfunction? What are you trying to, uh, to improve? Erection? or desire, or orgasm, what is the problem? And for all these problems can be different approach. Okay, 
Uh, obviously, don't take high doses of naltrexone before sex, but don't take it too far from the sex. If somebody is already taking LDN at night, well, try sex in the morning. So there are some tricks, and more tricks I will probably learn from you or from everybody, from anybody who will want to be a part of my collection of information or study. So I'm inviting you, essentially, I'm trying to look for volunteers. You don't have to give your names, but I would like to know your experience. So anybody can call, can, can send me an email, and I'll try to start collecting information. So maybe next time I'll be more specific and say, what condition should be treated in what way. Today I have anecdotal studies. Uh, why to participate? Another, I found out it's a very powerful thing. What I promise we will do, we'll talk to your partner. And so many unhappy people that just cannot communicate with the partner, they don't feel right talking to the partner what I need. They, want, they don't want to sound crazy, they don't want to sound not normal, and so many times a partner doesn't mind, a partner would like to, but never was able to talk to. So uh, please try to use us for your benefit. Okay, and am I ahead of time? I'm so glad. Right <laughs> Question. You got 40 seconds. 40 seconds. No, I don't know what to say in 40 seconds. I say that uh, please, please start participating, not only because you have an autoimmune condi condition, because you have normal. And again, the, uh, the title of the talk is for people who have a problem or for healthy people. Is it a good way to enhance your sexual exper experience? Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. It becomes a legal problem. Do I really want to prescribe low-dose naltrexone just to enhance something normal, not a for medical condition. And I think many times what I practice is cosmetic psychiatry. <laughs> cosmetic psychiatry, <laughs> yeah, you do. Sometimes you need to make life more, life better and you can tolerate a lot in life, okay. Thank you for listening to this presentation. All past conference presentations can be found on our website, www.ldnresearchtrust.org.